New discoveries and innovations in science, politics, finance, and culture that direct the course of our future are reported daily in academic journals, but rarely make it to the mainstream news. These research journals contain transformative ideas and discoveries from the sharpest minds around the world. In this podcast, we study the research papers and bring you the main ideas so you stay sharp and prepared to make timely and intelligent decisions. I'm your host, Daniel Fengon, and you're listening to Tiger Minds. Top ideas today. Scientists discover a new method for identifying dreams during sleep. New research shows certain types of traumatic experiences can affect your brain size and cause brain thinning as adults. A new gene has been discovered named Marie Kondo gene that cleans up and organizes things at the cellular level. Elon Musk reveals a new device that can link your brain directly to a computer that he describes as a Fitbit in your skull. Finally, in finance research, recent report discusses four ways to rethink about the future as we emerge from the COVID economic downturn. All new ideas and discoveries on today's episode of Tiger Minds. Good day, folks. We begin today with a recent study from the scientists at UC Berkeley who discovered a novel method for detecting when dreaming occurs during sleep. Now, when we sleep, our brain activity cycles between two states, the non-REM sleep and REM state. And what is quite interesting about these two states is that when doctors or neuroscientists look at your brain activity using sensors called EEG while you're sleeping, it is quite difficult to distinguish between the two states because brain activity is quite high during both awake state and during the REM state of sleep. Now, this doesn't make sense, but REM state of sleep is when dreaming occurs and brain activity is really, really high during this time. So this new method that has been developed by the scientists detects dreaming during the REM sleep. They're able to identify when the dreaming is occurring just by looking at the brain activity alone. Now this means there is a possibility of detecting how conscious a person is, but also it is a possibility to possible way to decode or understand when the dreaming is occurring, what those dreams are, especially after the person is awake. Now, this might seem pretty cool, but it has some futuristic implications, but it also has a lot of clinical applications. For example, people who have disorders of consciousness, like vegetative state or minimally conscious state or locked-in state. Now, here is a possible way to detect if they are dreaming. Are there new experiences? Is it possible to communicate through brain activity alone? There's a lot of cool ideas that could come from this kind of work, and the the world of decoding dreams has been around for centuries. Since the ancient times, people have been sort of thinking about decoding these dreams. What do these dreams mean? But having a ability to do that using the brain activity alone really opens up a whole bunch of research that is going to revolutionize this field of neuroscience, So, which is pretty cool. Another research from the American Psychological Association reported a finding that children who suffered trauma or abuse early in life, they showed biological signs of aging faster than children who have never experienced adversity. Now, the study examined three signs of biological aging. They looked at early puberty, cellular aging, and changes in brain structure. And they found that children who were exposed to trauma were associated with all these three changes. This is really interesting. What they found was that children who suffered threat-related trauma, such as violence or abuse, are more likely to enter puberty earlier 
and they showed signs of accelerated aging at the cellular level. Now, what does that mean? Now, as people age, our cells age, our DNA ages. And one indicator of aging DNA is there are these protective caps at the end of our strands of DNA known as telomeres. And telomeres shorten as we age. They wear down as we age. And what they found was that in these children who suffered trauma as a result of um, violence and abuse, they entered, not only entered puberty early, but they also showed the shortening of telomeres, which is really important because children who experience poverty or neglect, they did not show signs of either of these signs of early aging. So what kind of trauma makes a big difference? Because all of these have, all of these children have different experiences. It is the ones who have experienced trauma, violence, and abuse early on in life are the ones who are more susceptible to enter puberty early and also showed signs of accelerated aging at the cellular level. And the third biological indicator they looked at was cortical thickness. Your cortex is your brain and your cortex thinning is a sign of aging because as people age, their cortex thins. So different types of adversity were associated with cortical thinning in different parts of the brain. So it's not that the trauma or the violence or these kind of adverse experiences as children results in thinning of your entire brain, but it is that specific parts of your brain uh, differentially thin as a result of what kind of abuse, what kind of violence or adverse conditions you grew up with. This is very important because different parts of your brain are involved in different activities. Some is involved in vision, some Another part of the cortex is involved in movement, the motor cortex. You have your auditory cortex useful for listening, but then you also have your prefrontal cortex, which is doing more higher advanced processing. So what part of the brain is being thinned out early on would have an impact on your behavior. Now, what they found was that trauma and violence were associated with thinning in the ventromedial prefrontal cortex, VMPFC. So this is the part of the brain, the ventromedial prefrontal cortex is the part of the brain that is involved in social and emotional processing. This is the ability to, you know, understand other people's feelings, control your own feelings and behaviors, get along with your friends. These are all sort of high social emotional processing that happens in the VMPFC or the ventromedial prefrontal cortex. And it is this part of the brain that is being thinned out as a person who has experienced violence and abuse as a child as they grow up to be adults, it is this part of the brain that is being thinned out. Now, this is the same part of the brain that is involved in very complex behavior like um, cooperating with others, following directions, demonstrating self-control, paying attention. These are all very complex social social emotional skills that Sometimes the children are lacking, and definitely as they grow up to be adults, they are more susceptible to have issues with trust, confidence, pride, friendship, humor. These are all going to be affected because of this particular part of their brain sort of thinning out over time. And this was definitely not the case for the children when they looked at children who experienced poverty or neglect or deprivation early on. They did not really have any issues with this part of the brain, but they found that thinning occurred for frontoparietal regions of the cortex or the visual cortex. These are the parts of the brain that is involved in sensory and cognitive processing. And why is this this important? Because 
what part of your brain is being thinned out would mean as you grow up to be adults, there will be issues with certain parts of, you know, complex processing. Now, one might wonder, why would such a thing happen? Why would this be useful? Now, the authors of this paper go on to talk about the evolutionary advantage of having this. Why would accelerated aging be a good trait that is passed on through generations? Now, according to the author, you know, this type of accelerated aging might have descended from a useful adaptation. Okay, so for instance, if the child is growing up in a violent and threat-filled environment, for example, reaching puberty early could make people more likely to be able to reproduce early before they die. And faster development of brain regions that play a role in emotion processing could help children identify and respond to threats, keeping them safe in a dangerous environment. You know, while this seems like a useful adaptation for a hostile world, but of course we don't live in that kind of a world today, so these once useful adaptations may have grave health and mental health issues and consequences that needs to be addressed now as adults. So if you have experienced childhood trauma, these are reflected in behaviors as adults, and they require additional help in realizing these consequences. So it's not that they as adults are at fault for this, but rather there are clear neuroscientific evidence for the first time that this is actually a consequence of that, that there are developmental issues or even, even aging issues that might hinder their ability to interact well with their environment. Another research from the University of Colorado School of Medicine reported in the journal eLife a new study that uh, discovered a particular gene that is involved in cleaning and organizing. And they have named this gene the Marie Kondo gene. Now, for those not familiar, Marie Kondo is the Japanese author and a consultant helping people worldwide organize their cluttered homes, transform them into these uh, serenity spaces, as they call it, things that give them joy. Now, the scientists dubbed this gene Marie Kondo due to the organization and clearing it does at the very cellular level. This is very cool. You know, when we think about fertilization or embryo development, we usually think about genes and proteins that are being developed in the embryo to let the uh, embryo grow, right? Makes sense. But along with the development of new proteins, there are maternal proteins or proteins from the mother that need to be destroyed since it's not needed anymore. So it's kind of like keeping a clean space so that the embryo can develop and while cleaning out most of the clutter that would be left behind from the maternal proteins. And so this particular gene known as Marie Kondo gene is involved in this process. Now, once the maternal molecules that are involved in early embryonic development is used up, there's no need for the mother's genes anymore. You know, it's kind of like you know, you did your part, now move on, make way for make way for the next time, you know? And so this is what's happening here. And so as it develops, maternal molecules can control earliest steps of embryonic development. But once their job is done, the Marie Kondo gene, much like the namesake, removes unnecessary molecules and keeps the embryos organized. This is really an important step of embryonic development. Next, Elon Musk presented his Neuralink Venture, a live demo of the brain technology via live stream on Friday. 
Neuralink is the brain-computer interface company that is working towards developing brain implants for humans. So out of all the many companies that Elon Musk has been working on, this is one of the most recent ones that he introduced. And technology that they are introducing, the team members were introducing at this live stream. So Musk introduced the device known as the Link, which is the brain implant roughly the size of a quarter that will fit flush in the skull and transmit data wirelessly at megabit speeds. It reportedly has the capability of inductive charging and can support a full day's battery life. And it enables users to recharge the device while they sleep. And Musk described the device as a Fitbit in your skull with a few wires. It's a really cool technology and uh, it's very exciting to see what this technology will offer in the future. Full disclosure, I happen to be working with brain-computer interfaces in my own work, not related to this work. But there's a lot of excitement in this field, especially with this new venture out there as a company leading the way in many things that would be possible with the kind of influence and the kind of work and uh, capital that will be put towards this kind of work. It's really exciting. Now, Musk noted that during the event, Neuralink hopes to leverage this technology to assist amputees to help people regain their lost sense of hearing and sight and even treat some neurodegenerative diseases which is very exciting now this is by far certainly not the first time that brain computer interfaces that have been developed there's been a lot of research communities and academic communities that have been working on brain computer interfaces or bci and they have done a remarkable later remarkable groundwork for the kind of stuff that Neuralink will be working on for example Research into BMIs have been going on since the 1920s, and even recently in the past 10 or so years, there has been a considerable amount of advances that have been made in the field. Importantly, it has helped paraplegics walk. They have helped amputees move their prosthetic limbs, regain their sense of touch, help stroke patients recover. And a major line of research has been in re-enabling communication, looking at speech and re-enabling speech in patients with disorders of consciousness or other kind of neurological impairments. Finally, we discuss a report recently published by Goldman Sachs Research. This talks about living through a pandemic and what can it teach us about our future based on the past pandemics that we've had as a world and how to evaluate financial opportunities in the future. Now, you might be a seasoned investor interested in the financial markets, and so there's a lot of cool ideas here. Alternatively, you could be somebody who's not interested in this kind of stuff, not interested in finance and the markets, but what is important to note is that economists as a profession think about how to make decisions. They think about how people make decisions. Given what's uh, coming up in the future, how do we make good decisions now? Now, we all make decisions that affect our entire future. For instance, starting with uh, what classes we take in school, what career path do we choose, where do I put my money? There's a lot of small-scale ideas that we might think is not that significant, but there's a lot of important ideas to note from this research paper that I think would be worth discussing. Now, it is no question that a global pandemic that we're experiencing have been devastating on all fronts. We have lost countless lives. People have lost their jobs, used up all their savings just to survive, and things look very grim even for the short term. But six months into this pandemic, we need to evaluate how to move forward as individuals, as families, to take care of our own financial future. 
And so while this is not just a health crisis, it is a full-blown economic, social crisis that is impacting lives and livelihoods of billions of people around the world. But research has showed that the most successful people have utilized an economic downturn to reevaluate their investments as well as how they make new ones. Now, the reality of the financial markets is that it's also cyclic. In other words, there are ups and downs, although a pandemic was certainly not part of the usual cycle. It is worth considering or thinking about it as, uh, according to the financial scientists, that this is a downturn and it is an opportunity to rethink about how we move forward. So in May, uh, Goldman Sachs Research released this report they titled The Great Reset, a Framework for Investing After COVID-19. And they addressed the question, how should we be thinking about what the future looks like after COVID-19? We are definitely in that stage right now where uh, businesses are starting to reopen, schools are starting to reopen, they have come up with new mitigating strategies to avoid the spread of COVID. But looking forward, looking five, 10 years into the future, how do we make good decisions now? Now, as I mentioned, you may be a young person who's not an investor yourself, don't really care about your retirement at this time, or you may be a seasoned investor, or you may be a small business owner who has suffered some losses during the shutdown, or you may be a high school student or a college student thinking about your future. These are concepts that affect all of us. So how will the world look world look like as we restart? How can we be ready to ensure future investments? This includes our career of choice can survive another economic downturn like a pandemic. In other words, how do you make smart decisions that make you ready to survive a similar extreme event or an economic downturn? Because economic downturns will happen again and again. And the question is, how can you uniquely be ready for it, be it a man-made housing market crash or a natural event? like a pandemic. Now, the report points to four themes that are going to reflect our world economy moving forward. So the first theme that the paper discusses is resiliency. In other words, to prepare for the future, a business should be resilient to stress. Is it ready for another pandemic or another economic downturn that affects their market, their business? So for example, a company might be too optimized to keep the cost down by shipping goods from overseas. But it might not be optimized to withstand an environment in which travel is not allowed. So here's an example of a business that is not resilient. So maybe they need to consider both local options as well as the overseas or global options. In the same way, a simple example would be we as individuals, we may be too optimized in our work life. At the moment, we may be traveling or commuting to a job where we have a higher salary but to be resilient means investing in a home workstation, investing in ourselves to be resilient to get the job done under stress. Second theme is a pretty cool name that they've called it, sticky learning. Sticky learning. The idea here is that uh, learning a new skill or a task is very expensive and uh, not everyone is comfortable with it. But businesses have to learn to adapt to a new way of life. And some businesses and some lessons that we have learned will stick on for the future, while some lessons won't work out and we might have to go back to our old ways. For example, there are certain fields where remote work is not going to work. For example, a dentist or a physical therapist cannot do their work remotely. They need to be at their office. They need patients to come in in order to do their job. 
And this kind of learning where some businesses learn the way to operate in the future, where some skills will be used, while some skills won't, is termed sticky learning. I really like this concept. Now, the third theme is a pretty complicated one, one that is more boring, known as risk-based market segmentation. Now, hear me out. The idea here is that people are going to be frightened to go out about their lives. Okay, there are going to be people who are risk-averse, um, and there are going to be people who want the risk. You know, and everybody is going to want to socially distance, but in reality, it's going to be two groups of people moving forward. One who are risk-averse, not going to do anything, uh, and stay home and avoid crowds, and this is mostly going to be your older crowd. And then the other group, who are mostly younger, are going to demand experiences, uh, but with social distancing. This is the attitude of life is too short to crisis, so they still want those experiences. And we're seeing that occurrences of parties where young people gather together, but this is not the case for the older generation. And the distinguishing feature of the two groups is that one is risk-averse. Another one is willing to take the risk for the experience. And the, it's really cool to point out that the author goes on to say that after the Spanish flu influenza in 1918, a decade later was the Great Depression. But in reality, what happened in between that was the Jazz Age, which is the life is too short, and then came the Prohibition, which is we need to change the way we live in order to do uh, something less risky to pay for our sins. And this is kind of the risk-averse versus the people who want the experience kind of two groups. And we're going to see the same, something like this uh, moving forward, where we're already seeing it. There are two groups of people who will need the experiences versus those who try to be risk-averse. And businesses are going to have to accommodate for that. And then the final one is regulatory reset. This is pretty self-explanatory. With this pandemic, there's going to be new legislations and laws in place that will have to be considered. For example, drug development regulations where companies would have taken longer to do the testing, are, but now since the regulations are less strict, they are now encouraged to have more drugs being developed so they don't have to, we don't have to wait long to have drugs on the market. So if you are an investor or thinking about investing even a few bucks in a company, these are important considerations. But this is also gives us a macro view of how to approach the world in the post-corona era. How do you decide on careers or how do you start a small business? What kind of skills make you uniquely positioned to succeed even in extreme events? Being resilient is the key. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening to the Tiger Minds podcast where we discuss new ideas and discoveries from the sharpest minds on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. 